This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse Podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I am slowly adjusting to 2022. It's been a little bit since uh, you and I sat down, and uh, it's a brand new year full of all sorts of uh, new opportunities and exciting changes and all sorts of stuff. And we're going to talk about some of those things in this episode but the same old pandemic same old pandemic uh it's so funny how like i don't know february march of last year we were starting to use language like you know turn in the corner coming out of this i'm still guilty of saying like you know it happened because of covid like but we're not past it kind of thing you know what i mean like we keep talking about it like it's in the past but it's still very much ongoing especially right now i mean it it seems like we may be coming back down from whatever wave this is the fourth wave maybe (laughs) but you know that kind of exciting stuff let's talk a little bit about covid and we'll jump into kind of a breakdown on some of the new restaurants that have come into the county some restaurants who have changed owners some restaurants have closed down lots of hop and market yeah lots of stuff going on restaurant wise but for COVID, I actually watched a really interesting video, kind of broke down what the end, quote unquote, of the pandemic might look like or what the future of COVID might look like, kind of broke it down into a couple of different likely scenarios, likely and unlikely scenarios, talking about like what it would take to create or, or to turn COVID endemic, meaning that its transfer rate goes down to about one person. Right now, I think Omicron's like 12 people. Mm. If you get Omicron, you're likely to infect like 10 to 12 people is what it Mm. is. Whereas the first strain was maybe three to five in that zone. And they were talking about like what it would take to get it down there and relating that to other viruses, other coronaviruses, like the cold or the flu, how those work. If we're going to have like revolving vaccines every year, like we have the flu vaccine, Mm -hmm. lots of, lots of interesting kind of stuff. Where are we at right now in Door County? How are things looking here? Well, I mean, the, the number of positive test results is kind of insanely high. I mean, there was, they, they now re- release them twice a week from public health. And usually, you know, some of these weeks, they've been like 340 positive tests in like a three to four day span. And that does not include home tests. So if somebody is just taking a rapid test at home and it's positive and they're doing their own self-quarantine without ever going for a PCR test, that's not part of those numbers. So it's, you know, like my, myself, my wife had tested positive a couple of weeks ago. We had to quarantine, tested positive on a rapid test. We then went and followed up by getting a, a test down at the hospital just to confirm. But a lot of people probably aren't or are just taking a rapid test and when they're getting home from a vacation or something and maybe they're not seeing people. So there's probably more positives than are reported, probably probably a lot more now with the availability of those rapid tests. Right. That's the, uh, that's the thing. And also we have to remember that right now we're in flu season as well. And there's lots of other viruses that are going on. So a lot more people taking tests for, yeah, because, because they're, yeah. they're sick with something and they, you know, like I was in that boat, like I had a little bit of a sniffle, but I never tested positive myself personally, but I took three tests in the span of a week, just being like, all right, I don't want to make sure I don't bring this to anybody if, if it is COVID. And then the hospitalizations have just been, extremely high. You know, most of the time that we were talking about this for the first 
18 to 20 months of the pandemic, Door County's hospitalization rate never hit 10 COVID patients at any one time. So I, I think the highest was seven or eight for the longest time. Now we actually peaked at about 15 in late December and it has fluctuated somewhere between like eight to 15 inpatients at Door County Medical Center on any given day, right? Uh, as of this morning, it was 11 people who were hospitalized and also tested positive for COVID. There's a difference there of like, that doesn't necessarily mean they're in the hospital with or because of COVID. Like somebody may have gone in and that was, they also had COVID, but the main reason they were there was something else. However, I know there are a lot of people who are like, oh, these are all just people in the hospital and they just happen to have COVID. They're not actually sick with COVID. That is not what the doctors and nurses that are at the hospital tell me. These are people, for the most part, the ones who are COVID positive at Door County Medical Center. There are some that are just like, it's like ancillary to the main reason they're there, but most of them are actually hospitalized because they are extremely sick with COVID and they are younger and they are unvaccinated. That is not like a, I'm taking that from CNN thing. That is not something I'm taking from large national extrapolated numbers. That is exactly what I'm hearing from the local people in the hospital in Door County. So there is no filter of some conspiracy there just to be very clear on that. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, it's the same messaging that we've heard from Dr. Jim Heiss and from Door County Medical Center since the very beginning when hospitalizations were getting up after the vaccine came out is it is possible for vaccinated people to get COVID. It's possible for them to be hospitalized and be vaccinated at the same time. But the overwhelming majority of people who are hospitalized with COVID are unvaccinated. Correct. Yeah. And that's just, that's the messaging that we've been hearing since the very beginning last year from Door County Medical Center. So it's one of those things. So now with that, that spike, and it's, I can't, again, to put that in context, people might be saying, well, 8 to 15, that's not a big deal. Again, Door County Medical Center is a hospital licensed for 25 inpatients at a given moment. Now, during the pandemic, they have been okayed to take on more. That doesn't mean they have more staff. And we've said this many times, but I feel like you always have to give so much context to this because people will go and run with a certain part of it. But this is a hospital that has been in this pandemic and having to put on the, the hazmat suits and having to deal with COVID patients and having to watch people die. Like Dr. Jim Heiss said, it is, it is not fun to be in a local small town community and deal with people dying who could have gotten a vaccine and didn't have to die. Like that takes a mental toll on we take it for granted that people in the healthcare system just deal with this all the time like that's got to be incredibly hard and you've heard reports of more and more healthcare workers seeking therapy to deal with this and to deal with the frustration of it and the trauma of it of seeing it day in day out and as one doctor told me last year at about this time he said making the case for people to be cautious in a normal year we get hit with the flu season and that fills our hospital and we have to work long hours and long shifts and, and you just get worn out as a doctor at our local hospital in a regular year. So then he, he was saying, you throw COVID on top of that and those are people that are harder to care for. It's just this whole added strain. So that's when he was making the case for wear masks, stay in your bubble, gather outside, don't gather in indoor group settings. That was what he was saying. This was a year ago. And this year we're seeing that. We're seeing the hospital full. So when they have those eight to 15 COVID patients, they're having 20 to 30 to, I think the peak was 31 total inpatients at Door County Medical Center. I know from a firsthand account that somebody who's a family member went in for a stroke and could not find a bed in the state. They couldn't find a place to transfer them to. So this person, instead of having a hospital room or an ICU, 
was sitting in the emergency room for three days because there were no beds available. And that's what COVID is doing to the healthcare system. And that is the strain that our healthcare workers are under. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. It's something that I like to reiterate is COVID affects so much more than just people getting sick with COVID. If the hospital doesn't have any room and you break your leg, you can't be treated for that broken leg because it's full of people with COVID. If there's 15 beds being taken up by COVID patients at any given time, that leaves, what, 10, 15 beds left for everything else? And that's everything else. So it's a bigger issue. I had a conversation with someone the other day. Who was like, well, why aren't we just adding more workers then? And I explained that, well, they are trying to find other workers. They're, they're mobilizing National Guard people as nurses. They're moving nurses around the country, like traveling healthcare workers to try and fill gaps when these spikes arise. But I would imagine that it's a less desirable job now to go into healthcare to deal with this at this moment. Like, and then to also, like Dr. Jim Heiss has said, like dealing with the vitriol, being called a liar by people in your own community who think you are part of some large conspiracy theory or hoax. It's not the kind of thing that is making, it's just like being on a school board right now. Like who wants to run for that? Who wants to do that job? Unless they have an agenda at this point. And we're seeing that. We're seeing people leave our local school boards who are quality individuals. So it's not as simple like the hospital has told us locally many, many times, like, sure, we can add five beds. It doesn't mean we have the extra people that can go and care for the people in those five beds. So it's, it's not as simple as we think. And even though we've been telling this story for two years, people still don't realize that. It's kind of like when we go to war nowadays, and since we don't have a draft, and most of us can just go on with our lives, and we can have thousands of troops in Afghanistan or wherever, through most of the Gulf War and Gulf War II, and all of us could just go ahead and live our lives as if nothing was happening and make no personal sacrifice because we had these people who signed up for the army and they went and fought it for us. We're kind of in that realm now, and I'm guilty of it now, of like, COVID's still going on. This is the war for the healthcare workers. And they have to deal with it every day and then watch all of us go about our daily lives and act like it's not there, especially those who won't get vaccinated. It's got to just be enraging. I would be. Sure. Anything else on uh, COVID for this week before we take a break? Just that we've seen it also trickle down. Uh, they postponed some performances at Door Community Auditorium. Their First Nations series of talks was postponed. I think that's now going to take off on the February 12th. It was originally scheduled for January 22nd. They delayed their Coffee House concert series. The Door County Reads program has all gone virtual, which is a shame because it was a it's a great opportunity. It'll still be a really great experience, but. You know, Michael Perry, great author, really popular, great speaker, had a great opportunity to have him here for Door County Reads this year. Some businesses have had to close down several times because of outbreaks. Wickman House had outbreaks and eventually decided rather than do the up and down of we're going to be open. Oh, crap. We had a bunch more cases. Now we're closed. They closed. They gave up their January and February season because it was, you know, I, I hadn't thought about this, but if you're a restaurant and you have to close... That also means it's one thing to deal with your staff, but all the food that's in your cooler, if you have to close for those five days, <laughs> like you're just dealing with throwing out a bunch of food or right. scrambling to find ways to use it. So Yeah, it's not just that you're not bringing in money on those days, you're actively losing money. Yeah, so a lot of difficult stuff that businesses are dealing with, but hopefully, you know, when this burns through, and, and we talk about it as like it's Omicron, like this is the Omicron wave. We actually kind of don't know if this is Omicron or Delta for the most part, because it's not like when you get tested, they test for what strain it is. There are some studies where they go and take a sampling and they test a sampling of a thousand positive cases to see like how many of them are Omicron or Delta. But those are all just guesstimates. And a lot of times when they say, oh, this is the Omicron wave, they find out when they really evaluate it two months later, 
turns out, oh, that what we thought was 70% Omicron was actually more like 20%. So we actually, we tend to assume that this is all a certain wave or a certain variant, but we, I think a lot of what we saw in Door County was probably Delta just crushing the unvaccinated. Yeah. By the way, one last thing before we jump into our break, naming of variants. I listened to a podcast that kind of broke down why variants are named the way that they are. And it, it's actually really interesting because you'd think that we had, you know, COVID-1 would have been alpha and then beta, gamma, delta. But we went from one to delta. And some of that is because we had like little minor strains, minor variations that aren't necessarily big enough to like be worth calling its own strain and getting, you know, attention like Delta and Omicron have. The other part of it is some of those strains have names that like maybe politically or economically, you wouldn't want to use that to describe a virus because it might target a certain business or a certain demographic hmm. of people. I don't remember what the, I think one of it was new and or GNU is, is a variation that they often skip because that's a, a Chinese surname a lot of times. Hmm. And if you were to call it like, you know, also if you call it new COVID, it sounds like, yeah, that's a <laughs> like COVID two, yeah. but there are certain things like that that you would skip just because you don't want to do that kind of stuff. Corona beer is obviously been negatively impacted by the coronavirus, and you don't want to have that. If you can avoid it, you would avoid it that way. Even Omicron, I just think Transformers, right? So yeah, <laughs> it's kind yeah. of weird. I was I was sure it was called Omicron when so it first was I. came out. That's what I thought. Yeah, I actually said that for a long time. I might have said it on the podcast. Right. You know, before we move on, there was something else I wanted to say about this that I think is interesting when you look at the data. So if you go back to the early days when we thought all right. It was still a, a huge leap to say, we're going to shut down for a couple of weeks. We're going to close bars. That was like mind blowing at the time. And then we kind of get used to it, but like go back to that time and think, all right, we're closing bars and we're going to try and shut down for a couple of weeks. The hope was that we could either stop it from spreading and getting here in the first place. I mean, people forget that early on, we thought like, maybe we can keep it in China. Then it was, maybe we can keep it in Seattle when it showed up there and maybe we can keep it out of Door County. And then two weeks from now, we'll be able to get back to business or six weeks. You know, that was kind of the hope. And now that seems so naive. But at the time, that seemed like a realistic thing we could do. And then it was, let's slow down this wave for the hospitals so they don't have to get overwhelmed and that people can get the care they need. And that one we should probably still understand a little better. But to put that in context of what we were facing at that time, right now you have 78% of Door County residents are vaccinated. And as the hospital says, most of their hospitalized patients are unvaccinated individuals. And something like 90-some percent of our most vulnerable population is fully vaccinated. Those over 65, those with comorbidities, those with other things that make them more susceptible to the virus, right? So our most susceptible people are vaccinated. Our older folks are vaccinated. And yet that leaves 23 to 25% of our population is unvaccinated. And just by having that amount unvaccinated, those 7,500 people, it is leaving our hospitals totally full. And seven to 15 of those patients every day are COVID patients. And then our normal amount of patients is filling it beyond its normal capacity already. So now if you go, all right, let's go back to those early days. And let's say we didn't take those precautions. Let's say we didn't shut down and we just let the virus rip through. You're looking at instead of 15 per day, just on those calculate, just if you extrapolated, you'd be looking at 60 per day in patients with COVID. Totally overwhelming 
our local hospital system because that's, I mean, for the most part, our vaccinated population is not being hospitalized. So if you, you multiply that times four, plus you'd have to add back in those 90% of most susceptible people into that section of, of people who would be very susceptible to the virus ripping through. It kind of shows you, this current wave shows you how dangerous it could have been in those early days. So for those who might say we shouldn't have done anything in the first place, we're seeing what happens when you don't. Right. Well, with that, Miles, let's take a little break. And then when we come back, I want to talk about restaurants. We yeah, let's talk do that. About some of the new ones, some that have changed faces, all that kind of stuff. So check back in with you in one minute. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwanee counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. All right, we are back. So, Miles, you put together a piece on some recent sales that have gone on, but there's there's been a lot in the last six months to a year that we talked about when they happened, but now when you look back kind of all together, it's a pretty big number of restaurants that have either come under new owners or sold outright and become new restaurants. There are several that have just turned into something else altogether and aren't restaurants anymore. Tell me about this kind of like latest wave of sales. Yeah, so I became aware, uh, a friend of mine let me know that there was a, a sale of the Harborview Bar and Grill in Egg Harbor, which for those who don't know, it is, if you know where the chocolate chicken is, which is across the street from Shipwrecked Brewery, I imagine most people know where Shipwrecked is. So across the street from there, next to the park in the middle of Egg Harbor. Yeah, it's the rooftop dining yeah, restaurant. rooftop dining. That business, that whole building has been sold to Mike Mazguy, is his name, and he has Mazguy Restaurant Group out of the Wausau area. He actually made a big play here. He he invested. He bought that building. He has bought with another partner, Deer Run Golf Course on Washington Island. And he bought the Bedrock Flats property, which is kind of between Bailey's Harbor and Egg Harbor. And he bought that for housing. So most people buy a restaurant like, oh, that's great. You you have a restaurant. What are you going to do for housing? Well, he did all, all of those at once. Yeah. So made a big investment. And he plans to do a kind of breakfast, lunch, dinner, rooftop, cocktail bar, basically said, we bought the view is what we wanted because that you overlook the marina in Egg Harbor. You got a water view there. So going to do that kind of a, and we don't really have that up here as any sort of rooftop dining option. Yeah. It's, it's, I know of that one. There may be, are there any on third Avenue? I can't think of one. Yeah. It, it would, third Avenue would be right for somebody to do right. a, like something on one of those you know, three story places overlooking the canal. So is he planning on totally renovating that building top to bottom? Completely then? renovating it. He said he's kind of going to look for a holistic approach to the building to make it not just redo the restaurant, but redo the whole thing. That restaurant does have a liquor license, although I don't think the average person would think of that as a, as a bar location, but he does plan to start putting that liquor license to better use and making some craft cocktails and being open a little later there. At the golf course on the Washington Island, he plans to do a beer garden and keep the golf course open. And he looks at that as more of kind of a long-term that'll evolve over time. But that golf course is across the street from the county league baseball field. It's kind of 
it's an interesting go like, hey, I'm going to go mainland, Egg Harbor, and I'm going to go all the way up to the island. Not a ton of crossover there in terms of employee usage or anything, unless they really plans to utilize the ferry or yeah. kayaks or something. But he did say he, he operates at least three restaurants in the Wausau area. And he spent part of his youth in Door County, went to Gibraltar School at various points. And then he worked in Door County restaurants back in like the 2001, 2002 area. And then uh, we're for Chef's Hat in Ephraim. So very familiar with Door County. And he's hoping, I think like some of his staff from that Wausau area would work seasonally in Door County for him. So he does have some built-in staffing capabilities and now he's out recruiting. So, you know, he's, he's starting from zero, I think, with the staffing at the Egg Harbor restaurant. And then Deer Run, he's got a, I think he's going to, have to recruit some people as well so did he share any thoughts about like also doing retail or anything in the harbor view my impression is that chocolate chicken is going to remain on that first floor uh they'll just revamp it and then he's going to have a like a the restaurant will be called mezzanine the rooftop restaurant yeah and he plans to do like a mezzanine takeout on that first floor as well gotcha because i know that there's chocolate chicken and i think there's another retail space in there i think you are correct yeah yeah so I was just curious about that. Well, that's cool. That's a, a really great location. I've I've eaten there before looking out over the harbor and it is a really cool experience. Yeah, it's so. a great, great spot. Unfortunately, the people who opened it and redid that rooftop like immediately ran into staffing and then COVID. So they did all that work on it. And then was it that recent? I think, I mean, maybe four years ago that they actually redid the rooftop there. Huh? Yeah, because anything that happened before 2017, I assume had always been there. That's when I like, <laughs> that's first, your frame of reference. Yeah. yeah. So anything that happened in 2016 been there forever. It is really interesting when I when I talk to you about this stuff sometimes and many other people. So much of the the business scene and so many of the restaurant folks up here are really in the last 10 years, right? So their frame of reference is whatever is in those last 10 years. And to me, I still think of almost all those things as new. Like I'd still think of the Whitman house as new and it's now 11 years old, like, yeah. which is ancient for a restaurant. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting even just like the restaurants that I go to versus the restaurants that my in-laws go to because they've been coming up to Door County since the 80s. Hmm. So they gravitate to the ones that are still open that they went to on their honeymoon. Sure. And I gravitate to the ones that have opened up in the last 10 years, like yeah. you said. And of course, they, I mean, they try those new restaurants and they like them, but... They have their standbys. Their, yeah. The comfort level of, I know what I'm getting here and I, this is what I... This is my menu items. Right. My three thing rotation. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's always interesting going out with them because I get to go to the places that I don't even think about anymore. Whereas when I go out, I'm thinking of the same five things that have opened in the last 10 years. Like, have you ever heard of, if I say Hotel de Nord, do you have any idea what that is? Nope. Yeah. So Alexander's, I still think of, like, if, if I say the word Alexander's in that restaurant, I still, for a moment, think Hotel de Nord, Sister Bay, like, it used to be located north of JJ's. And there was this old hotel there, and Alexander started there, and it was one of the first fine dining restaurants 25 years ago or so 30 maybe that was the first place that i had friends that were working in like a nice place where they actually had to wear a nice shirt to work (laughs) and then we were like what are you guys doing you're not washing dishes (laughs) yeah no we're making really good money you schmuck damn it cooper's corner is another one that i hear about all the time whereas i know it as juniper's gin joint whereas i know it as the cnc supper club (laughs) yeah that's the other one and that's now also and there's a new owner there as well yeah in the past year you know that sold in January of 2021. And then that same owner bought the Whistling Swan, 
So the Whistling Swan has changed hands just in recent weeks. I can't remember if we talked about that on the podcast yet. No. No? All right. So Whistling Swan was sold as of the new year, and the guy's name is Amos. I might butcher this. Amos Goes? Goes, I think is how you say it. G-O-E-Z. Yes. And he owns several other retail locations in Fish Creek. So now he owns two mainstay properties in Fish Creek. The word is that Whistling Swan will reopen as a restaurant this spring under the same name. Again, probably searching fast for staffing. Yeah. Square Rigger Lodge just sold as well. Elizabeth Littlebit LeClaire, as she's known around here. Her family has operated that property since the mid-80s. So there's a little bit of coffee that used to be the Square Rigger, I don't know if it was technically a supper club, but Square Rigger Lodge restaurant. They were kind of famous for fish boils for a long time. And there's a hotel there with 20 units. So that has new ownership down in Jacksonport. Don't know yet what the plan is for the new owners in terms of the restaurant coffee shop. I'd imagine they'll just keep the motel going. And then a Viking Grill, maybe word is they are very close to selling. So yeah. that's been operating for decades up in Ellison Bay and should have an update for people within a couple of weeks on that one. Just like you mentioned Fish Creek, like there's been a, a lot of really heavy movement in Fish Creek. Yeah. Because you've got the Whistling Swan and Junipers that you just mentioned, yep. but also a cookery sold last year and is now Scallywags. Yep. You have the Taco Cerveza and Noodles and Booze. Yep. Noodles and Booze location is going to be no more, and then that Taco Cerveza location is going to open up with... A similar but different menu to Noodles and Booth, probably a new name as well. Yeah. Uh, that should be this year. Yep. So driving through Fish Creek, going to eat, pretty different. A couple than, couple more there too, because you have where Noodles and Booth was last year, sort of like a couple day a week restaurant. <laughs> Previously, Fish Creek Grill is no more. That's going to be the uh, renovated space for the Door Community Auditorium yeah. over time as they raise funds for that. Yeah, Gibraltar Grill. Where you and Gibraltar Grill yep. down the hill is going to turn into a condominiums of some sort. That renovation is underway, so the Gibraltar Grill is no more. So, yeah, the Fish Creek restaurant scene is really flipped in a 12-month span. It's pretty crazy. And some long-time people, when you're talking about the Scary family that operated the cookery for 40 years, Whistling Swan, the Tresslers, and their crew was there for almost 20 years. You know, Juniper's Gin Joint has gone through two names and a lot of staff in, like, a really short period of time there. But, yeah, some... Some pretty rapid changes happening yeah. in Fish Creek. You, you did have a couple of things come in as well to kind of, it's not that there's a net loss of restaurants. You have Shiny Moon Cafe opened up where Mr. Helsinki's was. You have Bayside Coffee opened up where Malibu Moose was. Not necessarily a restaurant, but you can get breakfast and lunch there. Yeah. So still, I think either stayed the same or a positive number of restaurants you can still go well, to. Well, you lost two. You lost the Fish Creek Grill and you sure. lost uh, Gibraltar Grill, so that's... That's a lot. And if you start to add that up, A, it, there's some fascinating things at play here. And I've been talking to people, like when I talked to Mike Mazguy, I was asking him, like, what's the confidence level investing in restaurants right now with the struggle to get staffing? And I think, and, and as I talk to real estate agents, they, they say that people still look at Door County as cheap. Hmm. So you get the real estate and if you can make the restaurant go even better. And now restaurants, you can charge a little more. And because you've lost, I know everyone thinks of it as so much overdevelopment, but Fred and Fuzzy's on a busy day, 500 to 750 people, those are getting spread out. Now that Fred and Fuzzy's in there, those five to 750 people are eating somewhere. Same thing when you take Gibraltar Grill and Fish Creek Grill away, you've got hundreds of people now being spread amongst the, the other restaurants in town. And I think there's, there's probably a couple more examples that I'm missing here, but there's several that have closed. So you're spreading those people out somewhere else. I'm trying to think if there's another restaurant change that 
that we're forgetting. Charnuska was under new ownership last year, and now they have a new name and a new menu as well. Correct. I think they're called yeah. Lost Tuk Tuk. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So they're they're doing. Is it Thai food? I don't Noodles. Say, yeah, of I some say sort. Off of the, the <laughs> yeah, they have a new a new menu. I I would imagine that they still do a soup, but yeah, brand new thing. And they had experimented with the menu last year, doing curries and stuff like that. And I think that's the direction that they moved into with their new stuff. So that'll be another option up in Ephraim. Yeah, I mean that changeover. You know, it's it's sad to see some things go, like some long, whether it be. The restaurant itself, like when you think of the Viking changing hands and you're like, oh, we might lose the Viking and the fish boil. Or when you think of the Whistling Swan and the vibe that they had created there, that was kind of the, the special thing in Fish Creek. So you you hate to see those things go. But you also, to me, just knowing how hard it is for some people to get out of their their businesses, like there's not, there's no succession plan. There's no retirement plan for most restaurateurs. It's basically just like a slog and you decide you want to sell and you probably make that decision too late. And then you, once you decide you want to sell it, you usually have to wait like five to 10 years to find the right person to pay the right price that actually allows you to get out of it and maybe retire. So, I mean, on a positive side, I, I look at this and I'm, I'm happy for the people. Right. As much as I, I'm sad that they couldn't keep it in the family and keep it going and keep the tradition going, I am happy when these business owners are able to find a way out and get good money for the work they put in because it, it's a slog in the, that industry. Right. Yeah. And it's something, I mean, we're going to see more of it too. Like you said, the people who are, are moving out and retiring and selling businesses have been at it for a long time, 30 years, some of them. Dan Peterson's been at the Viking for 40, 40 some years. Yeah. Like I said, the Scaries, 40 years at the cookery. These are long tenured people who have just like put their heart and soul into these businesses. Yeah. And they're, they're not the last of this wave either. Right. I'm, I'm sure we'll see even more people in the next couple of years, big, like long time restaurants that are either going to change hands or sell outright just because we're at that generation. Like we're going to have a, a, we already have a brand new generation of restaurateurs up here who are doing interesting things. And we have these staples who have been around for forever. And it's just, this is the, the changeover period for many of them. Yeah. And I, I just hope that, what really, what does make me angry is when like when you lose a place and then it becomes, it's no longer a restaurant, you know, as, as long as it, like I like going into a place and knowing it has history and, and knowing I have history there and that it goes back generations, like the Greenwood Supper Club and things like that, or the Sister Bay Bowl. And so my big fear for a lot of places that are in prime properties is, uh, I hope that doesn't sell because it's going to be, it's going to be more valuable as a condo and we're going to lose yeah. it. <laughs> right. But I mean, even when you think about it, I was just thinking like, Think of all the restaurants that have opened up with new young owners in the last 10 years, 20 years from now, probably going to see a bunch of changeover in all of those as well. And, you know, this isn't the first time that a bunch of restaurants have changed hands or, or it's been going on ever since people started yep. living up here. But yep. we're just kind of in the middle of some of the big iconic restaurants doing it right now. Just yeah, I think it's a lot of those folks who came in in the late 70s to late 80s and yeah, they're hitting retirement age and it's time to get out. And it's it's harder to pass it on and, than it was back in the day because the property values are just so much more. The taxes are higher. The investment you have to do to build that business over years is higher than it maybe used to be. So it's harder to just like sell it at a bargain or, or hand it down when you need to retire. Right. Well, Miles, with that, I think we can wrap up for this week. It's a pretty good conversation. Yeah, this is a good one, Andrew. Yeah, it's it been a while. Half sad, maybe a little <laughs> scary, and then half sad maybe a little hopeful and you know and to wrap back around that like i think i did definitely sound harsh and like i'm where we are in covid but i do, I do think we're in a place where things 
and I hate to say this because I always ruin my words, but I think we're getting to a better place after this wave, hopefully, and we can get back to normalcy. But there is also, I'm on a board where one of our wiser board members actually said recently as we were debating, like, what do we do now? Do we close? Do we change our mandates? Like, you know, in general, we probably have to get beyond this, like, ebb and flow thing and be like, hey, we just, just the new normal is dealing with this at least for a little while longer of instead of reacting all the time to a higher case count today or a lower case count tomorrow, which is like, this is part of what we live with now. Yeah. And, and well, I, I mentioned earlier that that video that I watched about like what the future of COVID looks like, and I'm not going to speak authoritatively on this because I watched the video one time, but there, that's the, all you need to do. That's more than most people do before they speak authoritatively, sure, right? That's fair. <laughs> but it, it was interesting in that the likelihood of COVID going away and just that's it, we're back to normal. That's probably one of the le- the least likely scenarios. Right. And so when we talk about a return to normalcy, it's more about a return to or an evolution into a new normal, right? right? Maybe one of the things that they said is like, what everybody wants to happen is for enough people to get vaccinated, that there's enough immunity that COVID just kind of dies, right? The likelihood of that happening, not super high. Right. Second option is that it, you know, becomes endemic. It doesn't affect people or spread nearly as much as it does. And it becomes more like the flu. And we do a yearly vaccine against COVID as well. The same way that we do a flu vaccine. There is a chance that it, a vaccine kind of like the polio vaccine is invented that can wipe COVID out forever. And then the only people who get it are newborns, very Mm -hmm. young kids. And it's pretty mild in that. So kind of like chicken pox where it's inevitable that newborns will get it, but it won't be that bad. And then they'll be vaccinated, you know, against it for the rest of their lives. But that would require a new vaccine, a new vaccine that can actually wipe it out kind of thing. And then there was a fourth option, which I don't remember off the top of my head. Well, there's also, there's treatments. Now their companies are coming out with pills that you can take that really lessen the impact that even if you do get sick from it, that lessens your chance of hospitalization and severe illness, which makes it more like flu and so many other things we deal with. Right. Meanwhile, my inbox is full of people still trying to, uh, I don't know, I, I got a note from Representative Glenn Grothman touting the impact of vitamin D, which is <laughs> the fact that we have a congressman still like, that is our magic pill for COVID is, all right, thanks for wasting your time, Congressman. Yeah, all sorts. All right, Miles, I'm going to cut us off before we continue. To- all right, thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.